Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our chance to meet and talk about what matters to you in the diverse and exciting and sometimes perplexing field of project management. We want to explore the challenges and the rewards of the career by sharing genuine stories from those who are doing the job every day. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the two guys who probably have more stories than most. There are the resident experts, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, we have in the studio today someone who many might say worked a miracle when it came to solving a major Atlanta traffic problem. You know what? A lot of project managers are faced with big tasks, but this one really stands out. So I'm looking forward to this cast. Well, let's talk to him. Mark Mastronardi is the Director of Construction for the Georgia Department of Transportation. He joined the Georgia DOT in 1993 and has more than 24 years of experience in construction, bidding, and administration, stormwater regulation, and soil and water conservation. He is a registered professional engineer and was instrumental in the rebuilding of the Interstate 85 bridge that collapsed as a result of a fire last March. The bridge reopened in mid-May, a full month ahead of schedule, to the cheers of about a quarter of a million Atlanta commuters oh, yeah. who drive that route every day. Mark, it's a pleasure to have you here on Manage This. Thanks a lot, Nick. I appreciate it. Now, the I-85 bridge collapse was a story broadcast nationwide, worldwide, really. I had people all over the country calling me and asking me about it. Initial estimates were, as I recall, that it was going to be midsummer before the road was open again. But with so many people affected, I can only imagine that the pressure was pretty intense to get that bridge open as soon as possible. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a major corridor in the city, and we knew it needed to be restored as quickly and safely as it could. Well, take us back to March. How did you figure out what you were up against. And and maybe before that, Nick, I'd like to know, what were you doing yeah. when you first <laughs> heard that this was going on? Yeah, what was so, going on? <laughs> uh, interestingly, this was, it was, uh, was a Thursday evening, just finished dinner. And I get a text from my brother-in-law and says, I think you're going to be working some overtime. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. Uh-oh. So we, my wife and I turned on the television and uh, I turned, gave her a kiss, said, I don't know when I'll be back, but I know where I need to be. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, and headed out the door. We have a we have a, an emergency response center and a protocol for the Georgia Department of Transportation, and so we all rather instinctively uh, convened there and started to triage the event. Mm. And at this point, you knew there was a fire, but the collapse had not yet happened. Uh, I think the collapse. I think by the time I was aware, uh, it may have happened. Okay. And just to get a sense for the listeners who are who don't live in the area or did not read the news. Uh, even uh, USA Today was quoting this like crazy. It was a leading story nationwide and, and across the globe. Describe where this was and the impact that it had on the freeway. Sure. So just north of the city of Atlanta, Interstate 85 uh, it diverges from I-75. They actually run parallel to each other right in the heart of the city. Uh, but as it diverges and, and begins to go a little more easterly, uh, you go through a, a very populated part of the city, uh, an area that we refer to as Buckhead, the community of Buckhead, uh, major populated area, um, an awful lot of businesses there as well. The corridor carries around, and you were right, somewhere around a quarter million people a day, uh, trips a day. So it was certainly uh, couldn't be in a worse place. <laughs> and there's there's not easy alternatives. No, there's not. That's that's absolutely, you know, I think to the to the question – 
you know, in, in terms of, of attacking this, it's understanding, first it's understanding, you know, what is the extent of this? What's the risk? How far is this going to be? You know, you have one span that has collapsed. You're mm-hmm. uncertain what the damage is to the other areas. But specific to that very moment in time, it's how do I maintain or, or in this case, provide some mobility? Mm-hmm. And so our traffic operations engineers were key in understanding what are those detour routes? And then as those detour routes are identified, the reality is, what are their capacity? Mm-hmm. Right. And then to the extent they're signalized, what can I do to, to facilitate that? And, and there's a lot of technology behind that. And we were able to synchronize a lot of signalization and actively manage that signal timing in real time. Uh, so those guys get a lot of credit in that initial, initial effort to get traffic moving. So we're talking about projects within projects, multiple projects. I'm Absolutely. Doing here. Mm. Yeah. So, so where did you start? I mean, how, how did you, you just get everybody in a room and say, okay, here's what we got to do? Yeah, and before we even get to that, Nick, <laughs> let's define what actually happened here. So the, there's a fire underneath the yeah. bridge to start right. with. Either materials were set on fire or caught on fire. The fire, uh, the flames are coming up. And so that's the point at which I saw there's black smoke billowing. Yeah. Yeah. But then the bridge physically collapsed across all lanes, correct? Correct. All, all the lanes northbound. Right. And, and so what, what you've got is, is you actually have a north and a southbound uh, I-85. And those two, those two directions are actually separated. So it's not one continuous bridge in width. Um, and it's a viaduct. It's a, it's a long-spanning a long bridge. But the... Um, yeah, so there was material underneath. There was a high-density polyethylene pipe. Um, it was there was again. There's been charges given in terms of arson and, and right. to how this began. Mm-hmm. And, and for us, the the understanding is, geez, we have this intense fire. Uh, what is the extent of the damage? And as you said, you have a span that fell, not really knowing what else is there in terms of what else has been damaged. So. The, to the extent that um, we knew we had a loss of section, we didn't know what all we really were dealing with yet. Hmm. So, so how, how, where did you, where do you even start with something like this? So the, the, I think the very interesting thing about the agency is that we have a lot of disciplines within the agency. Hmm. And we have a bridge inspection team and several teams that manage the inspection throughout the state. And so they were actually some of the first people on the site to respond. And it's, hmm. Flames were still there. The fire had not been put out. They couldn't access the site to begin to assess those damages. But in terms to answer your question, the first thing you do is try to assess that structural damage after you've done your traffic piece and and look at now what do we have. So there's a lot of information gathering. And and in real time, you're dealing with a lot of other sister agencies in terms of of how does this impact the transit in the community? What's going to be what's going to happen tomorrow morning? Right. And so those conversations really happen uh, in, in just short order. Hmm. So in, in terms of in terms of uh, a, a series of projects, um, do you identify small little pieces that uh, that you're going to work on one at a time or or can you look at the whole picture without getting right, overwhelmed? Right. Well, and that's again, that's where so as the information's coming in and your bridge inspectors are reporting back we have other spans that, that have to be replaced. Right. They've not fallen, but th- but they have to be replaced. That conversation starts to begin, okay, where's your bridge design team? And, and, and where are we at in an effort to 
pull those old plans. And so our, our state bridge engineer, um, with very similar stories amongst all of us, in some form or fashion, we were eating dinner or just had dinner or preparing <laughs> to eat dinner or something was in the oven and, and folks are turning around and coming back. And our bridge engineer uh, did that very thing, wasn't able to uh, leave his son behind, brought his son with him and began looking at archive plans. And so in, in terms of, so, you know, in terms of biting at this, this monster elephant, uh, getting your arms around that bridge repair in terms of, all right, now I'm getting a sense of scale. Mm-hmm. What do I need then for staffing to develop the design? So when I think about this in terms of figuring out the scope of the project, you guys needed information as quickly as possible. Correct. And you had to make sure it was accurate. So it took those inspectors first, but you got to put the fire out. Yeah. It, uh, get- interestingly, you know, we, we looked to take advantage of some, some technology and try to deploy some drones, but the heat thermals were actually not allowing the drone to pass. So, Mark, I've got a question for you. As you're assessing this, you have the bridge inspectors, you have uh, some of the people start figuring out alternative routes and signal coordination, some of that. Um, at some point, pretty quickly, once the fire is out and once things have cooled down and, and safety has to be a huge issue there, you've got to start getting boots on the ground and moving away debris and rubble. And Absolutely. that's by itself. Uh, a pretty monumental task. How quickly did that begin? Actually, it began the night of the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of outreach. We have a great uh, contracting community. We had a lot of outreach, and actually we the contractor we selected, C.W. Matthews, was actually just up the, the, the road on that corridor, had an adjacent project, uh, gave, a, gave a call to us, and, and we said, look, we, we know first thing we need are some lights. We need to assist the fire department. That's that's Thursday night. Um, and then the conversation as the night goes on. This is a 24-7 operation for several days. So as the, as the night goes on, it's can we start talking about demolition? Can we start talking about cleanup? And how long did it take to uh, to do that demolition and do that cleanup? So the, the full demolition took about six days, uh, a little more than six days, which is very impressive. That's yeah. about 13,000 pounds of debris, or excuse me, 13 million pounds of debris wow. that are, are hauled out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that gives the contractor full accessibility to the site. Mm-hmm. And that, that's key to a quick delivery. Yeah. Another question I had in these early hours of realization and the different departments figuring out, the different teams within the department figuring out who's going to do what, how did you have an intact team that then took over this your piece of the project, or did you have to uh, go pull different team members in? How how did you get your squad together? So you, again, we rely on the, the key personnel. The you know essentially your your bridge engineers directing both that inspection team and the designers. Right. Uh, me on the construction side, I start looking at how do we contract this. And again, with our Federal Highway Administration, there's a process for emergency incidents. And we were very fortunate in that they designated this uh, one that did not warrant bidding and actually develop a full set of plans, put it out for bidding, advertise it, and, and, and then award. We were able to actually negotiate a contract. Hmm. So in, in terms of the teams, again, very discipline-specific, but the, the, the overarching element of it is everybody's role is to work to get it open. And Mark, we've hinted at it in this uh, as we started this, but describe for the the listeners what was your role uh, in all of this. Sure. So, in, in a sense, and I think our project manager element is is probably shared by several people. But once it was it was very clear to us that night that it was going to be a construction project. Right. Uh, and so they looked to the lowly construction guy to have all the answers and. 
I look behind me and there's nobody else there. <laughs> so, so frankly, it's, it's a matter, honestly, I, I say that jokingly, uh, a lot of experienced staff. And, and we looked at, uh, we drew on past experiences. But a lot of that early coordination was shared by a bunch of people. But falling to the contracting piece, the staffing piece during the construction phase, that was me. So, gentlemen, start your cement mixers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very much, very much. In terms of, uh, of past experience, I mean, have, have you ever encountered anything remotely like this in the past that, that, that you can draw on, or, or did you kind of have to reinvent the wheel in many ways? This, because of where it was and because of its impact to the, that, those many thousands of commuters, uh, both it would be on 85 on, on the interstate and on those other local roads, um, was very unique. We have had bridge uh, damages before. We had major flooding in 1994 that, that mm-hmm. uh, I was involved in. And there's a lot of early relatable elements to that to bring back to this. Um, but on the, on the scale, no, not at all. And the fascinating thing, when you look at the impact, uh, yes, it impacted that quarter of a million commuters that went across that bridge every day, but it impacted us uh, all over because people were taking alternative right. routes. Absolutely. And so it, it impacted a lot more. You know, the ripples were bigger than the rock. Correct. Yeah. It, 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 you know, one of the first demands the next day is on transit. The outreach is to say, find another way. Please consider transit. Uh, and we're still, as a society, and we're still very dependent upon our automobiles, some people took that very that very challenge, and it worked out well for us uh, that they did. They found that other means of transportation. But absolutely, you're right. The the impacts were too uh, were far and wide, frankly. One of the things I want to explore with you, which I think some project managers will uh, will learn from, is how did you expedite some of the things that you were able to do? Uh, you you mentioned the Federal Highway Administration. Right. How quickly were you guys able to get the okay from them to take an exception with this? And then, like, how did that uh, – how were you freed up to get contractors in place as quickly right. as possible? So, and in, in again, in our emergency response center, our, the, the Federal Highway Division Administrator for Georgia showed up that evening. He wow. was there. Okay. And so, you know, part of that assessment was, was also a matter of minutes, you mm. know. Once, once you see that the span has fallen and, and you get your arms around what is the impact, you look at this doesn't need to go the, the typical route. Right. This needs to go to negotiate a bid. How long a span is it again? So, well, you've ultimately you ended up with about 350 feet in each direction. Okay. Um, you know, in, wow. on that ballpark. But yeah. the, uh, the initial span was, was a little bit of a different uh, shape, but it was around 100 feet. But so, again, the outreach from the industry, essentially, uh, I talked to our commissioner and our deputy commissioner on our chief engineer and I said look I think this is who we need to go with so when when you're looking for that key that key answer how did you settle on you on who you did we looked at their their past experience their availability and again to project management this is very relatable what's your resource what's yep. your ability to staff this and deliver this and so their their expertise came through in a big way uh, but that conversation began that night and they went to work on faith getting a demo contractor in in the morning wow so in this case, uh, in any project, you're going to have obstacles. That's something project managers deal with all day, every day. Right. Is, and sometimes those obstacles can be other people, other agencies, people wanting to, to slow things down or you know, do some kind of further study. Um, what were some of the larger obstacles you faced other than the gargantuan task that you've got a, a huge gap where there was a span? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, the, the interesting thing in that is the challenge 
is actually getting ourselves in position to deliver the materials. Hmm. Uh, you have a site that has access issues of its own. Uh, there's 61 beams that have to be cast and delivered to the site. And so, you know, something that uh, we drew from the logistics side of things is a right on time delivery mentality. Huh. And when you look to schedule management, these guys were managing on the shift, not on a day, not on a week, but on a shift. Oh. And if those beams could come in, you know, whenever they were needed, essentially that right on time delivery, you didn't lose any shift. Uh, so some of our, our normal procedures we had to relax in terms of we'll allow those beams to be delivered be delivered during the day. Typically, that's overnight. It's a, it's a, it's a haul that is essentially uh, an oversized load. Right. Is that a waiver process? That it's you a get? waiver. And yes. so um, you, in this case, would go to somebody and say, hey, I need a waiver for this. And instead of going through the usual uh, maybe lengthy review process that yeah. probably got signed off pretty quickly. Correct, and and fortunately that that is also us, right? We're we're the ones to guard those bridges. So similarly, when we looked at to your question, when we looked at what equipment's going to be needed, there's a, there's a, a a crane with 850 ton capacity. That's mm -hmm. a very very large crane. The counterweights themselves come in several loads, and you're looking at that's got to travel over our bridges. Mm -hmm we have to do the analysis of that loading over those bridges. And that occurs for every oversized load. So that, again, there's so many concurrent activities, and that is a key to delivering any, any project is to recognize that needed concurrency. So the level of scheduling accuracy and precision for this must have been extraordinary, even for you, for your team, because it seems like everything was done in a compressed manner. When I look at the, when I go online and see the uh, time-lapse video, yes, you know, from whatever, March 30 to uh, May 13, it's amazing. It you is. Know, it's, you it talk is. about an ant farm. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it. And you have multiple spans, multiple right. uh, cranes working. Well, and, and so we prepared our estimate. We, we used a P6 schedule. Uh, that's a, a Primavera scheduling yeah. tool. And um, contractor did their own. And we were able to look at theirs, and for a period of time, we were getting their updates. And then a period of time, we kind of fell off their distribution list, but we, we weren't concerned. We knew they were heading in a positive direction. But, yeah, they literally, the, the scheduling was activities per day, very, very subdivided, mm. detailed schedule. And when things are moving along so quickly, the, the obvious question that comes up is, hey, hey wait a minute, uh, is this thing going to be safe? How do you deal with the safety aspects? Yeah, and that and that was that was really born out of the speed was that very question. You know, is this going to be safe? And so we, you know, again, we employed a a rapid curing concrete. That's not a new technology. That's really something we use rather selectively because of cost. Okay. Um, Talk more about that. What is the trade off? I've had people say to me, uh, "Hey, why don't they why don't they just use this kind of concrete for every project?" Yeah. Well, it's it, typically it, it can be almost double in cost, okay. and so you have to do that cost-benefit analysis and say, I'm going to gain days. Right. What's what's my value here? And again, a road user cost, when we look at the impact to the traveling public, we were able to uh, demonstrate that road user cost is nearly a million dollars a day. Hmm. When you, and that, what that is is what's the length of detour? What are, what are some input values on the amount of time you're on the road on the detour versus this typically passing through this corridor? Um, and you extrapolate that across the number of days and the hours saved, that early delivery saved around $27 million just in that drive time piece. Mm. That's not the reality to business losses and anything else and the fact that they didn't suffer those full losses. Mm. Uh, but but that, early, that early strength concrete is, again, there's a trade-off in terms of workability. 
Um, you know, this is a little bit of a boutique mixture that what they did with it for some admixtures, but uh, certainly it's not something foreign to us. It's just rather selective. Mark, uh, you know, I, I know there were risks that you saw at the beginning. What unknown unknowns kind of crept up in this? Yeah. Because I heard something that, that really kind of made me laugh. I would have never foreseen this. But as some of the traffic got pushed into these alternative arteries and maybe people were cutting through neighborhoods, the neighborhoods responded by reporting accidents in ways mm-hmm. and in other apps yeah. in order to discourage people from cutting through and it's it's a bit of a cat and a mouse game what what things did you see what uh, that you didn't anticipate yeah and, and and you're spot on with that 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 actually was a bigger problem than people realized the other piece that was that was big for us and, and again thankful for the opportunity to be here today was the communication piece hmm. you know you have to manage expectations we're a government agency we know we need to be transparent never more important than in a crisis um, but managing those expectations in, in today's reality of, 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 you know, social media, just this ever-present demand, ever-present criticism, um, that was something we weren't really, you know, we weren't really versed in. We had we recently hired a gentleman to do some strategic communications for us, and his timing was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we needed that help. But to the other challenges, certainly, um, we, we knew one major risk was the beam delivery. It would only take one of those beams to hold the entire project up. The beams were an odd shape. There's no longer a, a shape that's used. Mm. So our bridge designers actually retrofitted a more modern design. Mm. And so beams were cast in uh, a couple of different locations. But uh, we knew that that, in, in terms of an item on a schedule, that sits there with a lot of concurrency. It doesn't have an importance yet, but it reaches critical path the right. next day. Um, if there was a snag that would bust your whole schedule. And so these aren't sitting in a giant warehouse somewhere. These, no. are, <laughs> these are raw materials yeah, these that are, have to be designed and cast. They, that's exactly right. And mm. 61 different dimensions. So it's not <laughs> oh, 61 wow. different reinforcement configurations in those beams. So that's certainly uh, to us. And again, you go back to those early conversations, uh, the beam supplier reached out that evening said, I don't know who you're going to utilize. We're here to help. We'll do whatever we can. Mm. And again, that conversation started uh, with that contractor that night as well. Uh, And so it was, uh, again, you know, I've said this, I've said this in some other opportunities, everything that had to go right did. Mm. Got another question, just as we're talking about risk here, because risk is sort of the most prominent aspect from the outside looking in at this project. Right. You think of the impact it's having and the visibility and the costs and all these things. Um, weather had to be a risk at Absolutely. some degree. Um, how did that, first of all, how did you predict, what did you predict that risk would look like and how did reality line up? So whenever we, we establish contract time, we look at a historical weather data. What's the time of year? We look at what are the number of days lost to temperature, number of days lost to uh, rain events and so on. And so we plug that in to say, typically we're going to lose this many days. Mm-hmm. So in our schedule, we did that. Um, the contractor did as well. What was fantastic was they lost maybe half a shift. Um, they can work in the wow. rain. It's lightning strikes that are the things that you don't want with, mm-hmm. with, with equipment in the air. Um, but so we account for it and we try to address that risk. Um, and that's part of the that June delivery date was more along the lines of if normal weather occurs, mm. if a couple of these hiccups occur, it's going to be out here. The possibility, and when we incentivized the work, it was, okay, this is aggressive but achievable, which is, which is a, a tenant to what we do schedule-wise. So, look, the big win, if we're done before Memorial Day, this is huge. This yep. is great. 
if we're done the weekend before Memorial Day, that, that prior Sunday, that's a major, major win. Anything beyond that is gravy. And so we looked at a structure and we negotiated a structure, um, looking at those road user costs, saying, you know what, um, it's worth a million and a half if you're done by the 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're done by the 21st, it's $2 million. And then $200,000 a day to a max of 3.1. So, And these we, were incentives that you offered to the prime contractor in correct. this case, right? Correct, yeah. The, it was urged by our governor. And, that's, and it's a process we use from time to time. Again, selective in when we do that. But, uh, you know, time is a critical element and there's a value to it. I think as a matter of disclosure, I should make it very clear that even though we have Nick Walker in the room with us, with his weather expertise, he received no money to guarantee that good weather to make yeah. sure this came Thank in you. ahead well, of, I, ahead I, of schedule. I would say that uh, if you've paid much attention, it's rained every day since we yeah, completed. Yeah, that, so. right? and, and that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, I mean, the, with the weather the way yeah. it's been the last yeah. month here in the Atlanta area, if this had been you know, delayed, you know, even a few weeks later, do you think this uh, would have really slowed things down? Well, and and the interesting thing, because you don't have the grading element, the earthwork element of it, a lot of this work is when when the rain stops, you can go back to work. Mm -hmm. Right. So it wouldn't have been a huge hit. The big hit would be when you're pouring those bridge decks, you really can't have that torrent of water running across that bridge deck. Mm -hmm. So you would lose that activity, you know, during the current event. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I do want to ask about, Mark, is um, have you, has your department received any negative uh, feedback on the incentives that were offered to the contractor? I think from our perspective, we would we would have gladly helped raise funds yeah, to pay some. Yeah. <laughs> Start a Kickstarter campaign. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, go fund me. Let's do it. But I'm just curious, you know, has what's the reaction? Not that there? I've heard. Uh, frankly, it was uh, it was our governor who said, you know, we need to take some normal business practices and apply them here. So it was his urging to a resource that we've always had, and we, and we saw ourselves again. You have in our in this instance, you're. Your client is the are the commuters or the road users, and you're saying what's the value to restore that to them? And there, there really is a value, and that's mm-hmm. where we came up with that. And so, uh, I think the figures to some startled up folks because you're looking at roughly a twelve million dollar contract, and then there's a three million dollar incentive. Mm-hmm. Um, you go back and look at it, and you go back to those early those early projections. How long is this going to take? How much is it going to cost? And you deliver something in six weeks on a on a fifteen million dollar uh, cost, not a lot of negative criticism, mm-hmm. frankly. We've heard a lot of positive things. Mm-hmm. The, one of the other things, and I think Nick uh, earlier brought up the question of safety, and when we do look at how compressed that schedule was, right. you know, that's an obvious thing. But I, even uh, looking at some of the articles and, and um, newscasts that came about with this event, uh, USA Today, one of the, the uh, reporters quoted, this was the most inspected most scrutinized construction project ever. That was someone in your department that was quoted as saying that. Yeah, that was our commissioner that said okay. that. And, and yeah. uh, I think he's probably right, frankly. Okay. the um, Again, ensuring safety, that, that is paramount to, to civil engineering. But the um, to the traveling public, you're looking at, okay, what are these materials we're using? There are standard tests that you do, and we perform those. And so we had round-the-clock inspection, round-the-clock testing. Uh, as those cylinders were curing, somebody would take them and break them to look at compressive strength. Um, the steel inspection, the beam, the beam fabrication, all real-time, real people there looking at it. So it's, uh, um, again, that otherwise happens on a, on a longer schedule. So the, the sacrifice is being 
we will be available to whenever you need us. You know, again, the contractor driving that schedule, uh, that was more of a reactive element. So, Mark, uh, you're managing this project. Uh, what's keeping you awake at night while the project's being uh, executed? Because execution started the next morning. So right. this wasn't a long, lengthy planning cycle that happened up front. You get everything exactly planned. You're, you're uh, sewing on the prom dress as you're walking out the door, more or less, in this case. <laughs> so uh, what, what, kept, what kept you awake? Yeah, the, the real concern was that, the, that things would, would fit. Again, you're Uh. designing to an existing structure. We did a lot of pre-survey. They did survey themselves. So there's that there's that actual adjustment in the field. So you have to be ready to respond. A lot of information was answered. And again, the, fortunately, this technology we have today, someone could text you, hey, there's a question about X, and it gets answered. Right. And, and if you can't answer it, you can find somebody that will. And, and that really is a, just critical to keeping schedule. When this project was complete, it seemed like there was this almost sense of surprise. <laughs> you know, I, I turned on the radio and I, you know, it's, it's going to open, yeah. you know, next week. And, and it's like, even the news reporters kind of, really? What? What? <laughs> was, there, was there any kind of sense of surprise within your agency? So I'll tell you, the, the key thing to me that I saw schedule-wise early on was in the demolition of the columns that were retained. Mm-hmm. So there's 13 columns that had to be retained, and we thought it was going to be a very intensive hand process, hand demo. The contractor was able to utilize really conventional pneumatic equipment, but they dialed down some things, did some special techniques, and it really came out of the ground fast mm-hmm. from that from that perspective. Um, so at a point, I actually began worrying because I was I was the one doing the the weekly updates curbside and and. Uh, I said, geez, you know, credibility-wise, we've got to make sure we tell we tell people where this is headed because it's looking like it's going to be quick. Mm. Um, but no, there was there wasn't really a uh, a surprise on our end. It was was more a matter of, you know, is is there that shoe that's going to drop? Mm-hmm. And you were waiting mm-hmm. on that, but your expectation was, geez, this is this is going fantastically. And it's so public, you know, to mm-hmm. your point about social media and yes. people with cell phones with video, et cetera. Everybody's seeing this, and they're, so the, the reports are out there all the time. So there is that sense of, hey, we, we have some potentially great news, but I'm sure for you guys it was hard to know how much do I share and how much do I buffer, hold on yeah, to. Yeah, you have to manage expectations. Yeah. And, again, you go back to that, and, and I know our audience, a lot of project management staff, um, you manage expectations of your client, and you need to do that in a way that maintains your credibility. Right. You can tell a lot of good things are coming. But you need to give those couches and caveats to say, however, right? And so in our instance, it was that. There were times where we knew more detail than we shared, mm-hmm. but it was not that, that we shared it out of secrecy. It was we, we didn't share it out of certainty, right. lack of certainty. Mm-hmm. As far as, as, far as you know, looking ahead, it, it, should you ever encounter something even remotely similar to this again? Do you feel more confident? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the the things that's been a nice byproduct of this, 
uh, as, as we look. Several of us are nearing the end of our careers and about to do something else. What's really impressive is to see the young staff rise to the occasion, mm-hmm. to see their innovation, see their commitment. Uh, it's, been, it's been such a collaborative effort. And then with the, with the contractor as well, they have that same concern, that generational turnover. Where's the talent coming from? Where's my bench? Uh, this has been a pretty good demonstration. So, Nick, I think we'll, you know, I, I hope it never happens. But if it does, <laughs> we, we have a lot of lessons learned. We gathered for that, started to put those on paper, looking to see what we can standardize and incorporate into our normal work. Well, Mark Mastronardi, thank you again so much for being with us. We want to let our listeners know how they can contact you. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. The best way to get a hold of me is through my email account, and that is mmastronardi at dot.ga.gov. And I'll spell that out. That's M-M-A-S-T-R-O-N-A-R-D-I at D-O-T dot ga dot gov i'd like to buy a vowel <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this is great uh, again this is you know fortunately we're telling a good story yeah. and it doesn't happen without a lot of good people doing a lot of hard work and a huge congratulations to you on our behalf that was an outstanding job it represented the city well it represented the state well and uh, solved an amazing problem in a in a phenomenal amount of time well on behalf of the department we thank you for that And with our congratulations, we also want to offer you this great Manage This coffee mug that you've been using sitting in front of you. And uh, and take it, enjoy it, and uh, and consider it a gift from about a quarter of a million commuters as well. (laughs) Absolutely. uh, There were a number of days I would like to just have enjoyed a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, Mark. Andy and Bill, thanks to both of you for keeping us on the road. We want to remind our listeners that you are on the road to receiving free PDUs just for listening to this podcast. That's right, you've already earned those professional development units. Now all you have to do is claim them. To claim your free PDUs, go to Velociteach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on August 15th for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at velociteach.com slash manage this to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at manage underscore this if you have any questions about any of our podcasts or about project management certifications. We like hearing from you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.